And like I told Alan earlier, if it just helps one person, just one person to have healing in their lives and to know the deep love of God, that's all that matters. You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 63, Understanding and Helping Victims of Child Abuse. Victims of sexual abuse often feel overwhelmed with intense feelings of worthlessness, despair, and loneliness. Many times, it's hard for them to even consider sharing what happened and how they feel. Today, Joanne shares her childhood sexual abuse story. From the deep wounds of abuse to finding peace, hope, and healing in Jesus. Hear her advice for those working in ministry on knowing what to look for and aiding those near you who you may not realize have been affected. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Joanne Adi on the phone who is lives in Wisconsin, is uh, a Catholic convert, power to the converts. Um, Joanne, I'm a convert as well. And um, she is going to step out of her comfort zone and be courageous and bold and tell us a little bit about her journey and a little bit of the... Um, abuse that happened in her life and how we can help others step into their lives and help them um, deal, with, deal with it in their own lives. So, uh, Joanne, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Joanne is, a, a, like I said, a Catholic convert. She's also a wife, mother of two boys, uh, living on a small hobby farm, which I'm not sure what that is. Can you tell me what a hobby farm is? Well, it, we have about 50 acres wow. and we have chickens. And we plant about 15 acres of corn ah. every year. And we have about 70, not quite that many. We hope to have 70 fruit trees at some point. But we've planted a little orchard of fruit trees. When I heard the hobby farm, I thought it was going to be like, and you even said small hobby farm. That doesn't seem small to me personally. That seems like a large hobby farm. But I'm not familiar with them, so I don't know. So you're in on the shores of Lake Michigan. And you've been teaching social studies to middle school students in a Catholic school for 25 years? 25 years, yep. God bless you. All right. And uh, so why don't we just, I'm just going to open up to you and let you tell us a little bit about, yeah, growing up, just a little bit of your background, your story. So I was born the seventh child out of nine in the midst of my father's, um, he was deep in the midst of alcoholism when I was born and mental illness. And even as a little child, my faith was, was very important to me. I remember in my early years, just like going to church and praying, that was non-negotiable in my family, and it was very important to me. Um, my parents divorced when I was about three years old, which is really unheard of in 1970. Um, leaving my mom, I believe eight of us were under the age of 18. I don't really have many childhood memories, which is both a blessing and a curse. Um, I wish I had some memories of some happy, fun times as a child, but I really don't. Um, my mom swears that she read to me for hours on end, um, and I have absolutely no memories of that. So it's been a blessing and a curse in my journey, um, because at about the age of five, um, the evil of sexual abuse entered my room. Um, looking back at it, I know today that God ab absolutely took my heart in his hands and held onto it for me. Um, the abuse was frequent very frequent, many times a week, and ended in, um, not until I was about 12, so for about seven years of my childhood. Um, when the abuse ended, I was just entering middle school, and I got into lots of trouble in middle school. When God showed up again, 
um, and introduced me to an evangelical minister had just moved to town. And I, my mom knew his sister and she gave him my name and he called and asked me if I could babysit for his two small children as he was starting up this new church. And I spent a lot of time with that family, a lot of time with those kids because they were at church two, three times a week. Sometimes I went to church with them. Sometimes I stayed home with the kids. But that family really saved my life. Um, the, the, the man and the woman showed me what love between a husband and wife is supposed to look like. They, while I cared for their children, they enveloped me in their arms and loved me with a love that I'd never known before. They introduced me to a real personal relationship with Christ. So um, in my early, my early teen years, I spent a lot of time with them in the evangelical church, but it was non-negotiable with my mother that I had to attend church. Um, and I really loved the sacraments even as a young child. And so I really felt like I had the best of both worlds. I was, I was just living in the evangelical church in the middle of the week and really feeling God's love encompassing me and really delving into a deep personal relationship with Christ. And yet on Sundays, I had the sacraments, which I loved. I entered adulthood with really deep wounds, with really no idea of what it meant to be a woman, no idea of what love was, and absolutely no idea of my own worth or my belovedness. Um, but of course, my marriage suffered terribly. I carried all my brokenness with me into marriage, and marriage is so hard without all the brokenness and wounds that I carried. I was in and out of counseling. Um, we were in and out of marriage counseling until I had my really, I had my really first real healing experience with healing prayer during a mission. Um, a priest had come to the church, to the Episcopal church, and led this whole weekend retreat, and I just, I just soaked it all in. And um, at the end of the, the retreat, he, he actually asked me, Joanne, can I, can I pray with you? And he pulled me aside. I'll never forget. It was like the fifth row in the church. And he pulled me aside. And um, after church, we prayed together. And he prayed with me and led me through this prayer meditation. And he led me into the arms of Christ. Christ was sitting in a rocking chair. And he just led me into the arms of Christ. And for the first time, I really experienced really probably the first deep healing, deep healing in my soul. And the prayer that he led me through was willing me to forgive, willing me to be forgiven and willing me to receive forgiveness. It was, it was beautiful. And it's a prayer that I really go back to um, today yet. And that led me into um, taking part. Actually, the church started a healing ministry after that, where a group of us met every week and we studied healing in the scriptures. And then on Sundays, we... Um, we had a little Marian chapel in our in that little Episcopal church that I was a member of. And, and after communion, anyone who wished for prayer for any kind of healing could come to the little chapel and they would be anointed by a priest and then we would pray with them. And so that was really my first experience with, well, my first and only experience with healing, with healing ministry. But that lasted for many years. I was participated in that in that healing ministry for probably close to 10 years. But it was it was about 20 years later when God just really kind of gently began to call me to the Catholic Church. My boys and I converted actually not long ago, November 18th, 2015. And my husband... Rock on. Yeah, my husband returned to the church after I've been praying him for so many years because right before we married, I didn't know then, but something had turned him off and he left the church. And so um, when we were converted, 
or when, yeah, when the boys and I were received into the Catholic Church, my husband also came back to the church, and it was just a real blessing to me. Oh, that's great. So I didn't, I didn't realize he, so you met him, he was Catholic, you were not, and then, but he had fallen away from the church, and then when you guys came into the church, he came back in on the same date, on that same Easter vigil? It, it wasn't an Easter vigil, it was actually, um, we chose to do it as school mass at November. the school where the boys and I attend. And ah. did it during a school mass. The priest really convinced, convinced me that I had to do that because I, I wanted to do it privately. We did it during a school mass, and yeah, my husband has. Um, my husband came back to the church on that day, so it was really a beautiful day for my family. That's a great witness for the community at your at your school too. Yeah, it was beautiful. How old were your boys when they came? <clears throat> when they came in. Um, eleven and nine. Very cool. It was, and really it was days before that, just the week before I was received into the Catholic church, I was sitting, the church I belong to is just an absolute beautiful old church. Three generations of our family were married and have worshiped there. And I was sitting in the church and I, cause I struggled a little bit with the, I struggled a lot with the conversion, but um, I was sitting in the church and I was actually going through an exercise on vulnerability that, um, my Al-Anon sponsor, that's a whole nother story, but my Al-Anon sponsor had given me this exercise to work through because I was really struggling with vulnerability. And Christ, in that moment, I'm sitting in this old church and Christ just looked down at me in a very personal way and gave his blessed mother to me. And I, I believe today that absolutely he gave his mother to me in a very personal way as he, as he hung on the cross because he knew that as I began this journey to healing that um, I needed a mom. I needed a mom. And he, and he really just looked at me and said, this is my mom and she's going to protect you. She's going to take care of you. And, um, you know, my mom didn't, my mom couldn't take care of me. She didn't take care of me. She didn't protect me. And Christ knew I needed a mom. So just days before I converted, he gave me his blessed mother. And then he really just very slowly and very, very gently began to ask me to give my heart to him and let him to heal the wounds that he wanted to heal. And for months, I said, no, absolutely <laughs> not, not. Not letting it happen because I had, I had been told by a counselor one day or early on that as I healed, the memories would come flooding back in and the fear of those memories paralyzed me. But God just, he didn't give up. He just gently kept, you know, um, he gently kept nudging me and you know, asked me to give him his heart, asking me to give him permission, which I eventually did. I gave him permission to peek around in my heart a little bit. Of course, he knew what he would see. But um, really very, very slowly, my no, my absolute solid no turned into a yes, my own little fiat. It was an interesting, you know, it was an interesting time for me because I, as I told God yes, memories started to surface. I started to have nightmares. Um, it was, a, it was a pretty difficult time for me, emotionally exhausting time for me. But during that same time, I had applied for a new position, a new job. And, um, that, that search process, that job process just was like this unending process lasted for a couple of months. And in that process, I, um, developed really deep anxiety and I couldn't understand why I was so anxious. Like it was just a real struggle for me. Um, the anxiety. It was just crippling. And um, it was one night while I was really lamenting and really praying and really, you know, searching for answers about the anxiety. 
that God just whispered to my heart just some truths about the deep wounds that were in my heart that he wanted to heal. And that was that was the beginning of that deep healing and transformation for me. And it was ugly. Yeah, it was ugly. It was exhausting. It was painful day in wow. and day out. I, I felt like I never had a respite. Like God was working really quickly, but I was ripe. I was ready. To, I, I wanted healing. I was ready for healing. I was ripe, ripe for it. And he just loved me so beautifully and so gently. He was so kind. I did have some memories return. The memories I, I, I so feared, some of them returned. Um, but he was so gentle. He only allowed the memories that had to come back that I needed to know, that I needed to heal, to come back. And he just slowly, very meticulously, very slowly um, revealed my wounds to me. And I started to, with his help, excavate the garden of my heart. And it sometimes, it, it would feel sometimes like the garden was looking really pretty. Boy, that garden is looking really pretty today. There are no weeds in it today. And the next day I would wake up and the, there would be another weed there and I would get to excavating it and I would find that the roots of that weed were deeper and um, stronger than the weeds I pulled yesterday. But I've come to understand really that it's going to be a lifelong journey for me. The, word, the weeds are few. The weeds are, are fewer these days, but it's going to be a lifelong healing journey for me because sexual abuse is an evil that causes incredible damage to the soul. Um, but God has brought beautiful, beautiful things out of the ugliness um, and draw me into a deeper relationship with him, a relationship that I, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have encountered without the wounds that I suffered as a child. Yeah, you talked about uh, the being paralyzed by fear, and I think that the enemy wants to keep us there. You know, where we're too afraid to do anything and too afraid to move and look and re-examine those those places in our heart. That's exactly what the evil one wants us to to not do, is kind of go back there and give God a chance to heal those places. So, so praise God that you were uh, open to that and vulnerable enough to let that happen. Um, and then the healing began. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about when you were talking about uh, the healing process. Um, can you tell us a little, a little more about that and what was the most beneficial um, thing in that process and what steps do you continue doing? Like you said, this is a lifelong journey. So what steps are you continuing to do to continue that healing process? Yeah, I'd love to speak to that because some things were so important to me in my, in my, um, in my journey. Spiritual direction was a key, but hand in hand with that, um, I found Actually, God found her for me because she just kind of fell into my lap. Um, a trauma-trained specialist in my community who's been working with women and men, but mostly women who uh, suffered childhood trauma of sexual abuse. It's been her lifelong commitment. And God just brought her to me. And spiritual direction and counseling were hand-in-hand -hand mm -hmm. for me. Really were important that I did hand-in-hand -hand because they both allowed me to practice being vulnerable with another person in a really safe environment. So for example, when I was in counseling and I, we would be digging up those weeds of shame, which were so deep. I didn't even know I carried shame. I think my first counseling experience, you know, I walked into her office and she says, well, how are you know, kind of, how are you with shame or where are you at? I'm like, I don't have any shame. And as we talked, I realized that like the shame was so deep and I had buried it for so long. And, um, so as I worked through that with her in counseling, 
my spiritual director and I also worked, um, there was, there's one line in the Eucharist that are in the Eucharistic prayer, um, in the mass that just for years stung. And it's that prayer right before we receive communion. And we say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And for years, every time I said that, it just kind of affirmed my brokenness and affirmed in me my unworthiness. And so as I'm working through the shame and counseling, my spiritual director and I worked through that line. So it was so important for me to have both of them and kind of be doing them in tandem because there are lots of things that we worked on at the same time. Um, receiving the sacraments for me was was really beneficial, especially, I mean, really healing. The, heal, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of the Eucharist I received as often as possible when I was deep in the midst of that healing and transformation. Um, Dr. Bob Schutz speaks really incredibly and really directly to the healing power of the sacraments in his book, Be Healed, and then even more intensely in his book, Be Transformed. And probably most importantly, this was affirmed for me, like the, the healing of the sacraments was affirmed for me. So as a teacher, I'm blessed to have all summer long off. And I love it. I love every second of it. Uh, and it's a habit of mine in the last several summers to try to get to mass as much as I can. And each summer as the school year began, most importantly, last summer as the school year began, and I had been working through some really intense stuff all summer, um, I went back to school and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't receive the Eucharist on a daily basis anymore. And I remember going to my spiritual director and say, like, something's missing, like something's off, like I'm, I'm just missing something. And through talking with it, I realized really the deep healing that I found in receiving the sacrament of the Eucharist so often. I think we sort of take it for granted when we can do it every day. And then all of a sudden I couldn't do it and something was missing in my life. And so that really affirmed for me the healing power of the sacrament of the Eucharist. So that was really, really important for me in my in my journey. Having spiritual friends, I prayed for them and God provided them for me, just people that I could be vulnerable to because that was so hard for me. Reading scripture every day, attending Bible studies, leading Bible studies. It's not enough just to rebuke the lies of the devil because he wanted me to stay stuck in my brokenness. But you, I had to, and I think it's important, I, I had to take those lies fill that space up with the truth that Christ speaks to me. And the only way he, and one of the ways he speaks to us is through scripture. And so I had to fill myself up with the truth of the of scriptures. And so daily scripture reading is just a must for me. And it's something that I continue to today. Um, a couple other things that were super important to me, song, I, you know, God speaks to me in song all the time, speaks truth to me. In fact, as I was, as I was driving home from school today, thinking about this podcast, I was listening to Stephanie, I think it's Gretzinger, singing the song Out of Hiding. And that's what I've been working on for the last couple of years, just coming out of hiding. And so songs speak to me. And so listening to songs that are speaking to me in the moment and just listening to the truths that they spoke to me. Um, praying the rosary and really staying close to Mary um, was important to me. I'm, I'm really blessed to live about an hour only from um, the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help. And so I, um, I seek Mary out and, uh, and visit that shrine as often as I can. Journaling, writing, I've written a memoir of my story. I've, I've written it down from childhood to 
Um, I haven't quite gotten to yesterday yet, but <laughs> I've written my memoir down. And writing is healing to me, but also sometimes I have to go back and read my story because I forget where I was and I forget how far God has brought me. And it's important to go back and to remember the blessings of my life. And then just quickly two other things. Um, I found it really helpful in counseling um, or, or through the process to take out a picture of that little girl right before she was abused. There aren't very many pictures when you're number seven in a household of nine <laughs> in the midst of dysfunction. There weren't many pictures, but I found one beautiful little picture of a little girl. And I took it out. I put it in a lovely frame. And I've kept flowers next to it for almost two years now. And in the midst of the transformation, I had to speak the truths of who that little girl really was and how much she was loved and beloved by God. And that little girl, through my speaking to her, was able to heal. And probably one of the most Oh, I can't say most important because they're all so important. They were all part of the process for me. But I spent a lot of time in church when God, when I said yes to God and I said, yes, you can, you can heal my heart. It was a priority in my life. And I'm blessed that I only, I'm a school teacher, but I only teach a couple hours a day. And so I had every afternoon and every day when I left church, I'm in a Catholic church. I walked across the street. I'm sorry, I'm teaching in a Catholic school. I walked across the street every day when I was done teaching. And I spent anywhere between 15 minutes and three hours just sitting in the presence of God. Um, actually, sometimes, a lot of times, sitting behind the altar, on the floor, staring up at the cross, and just being loved by God and, and, and loving Him. And that was incredibly important for me in my time of healing. What a beautiful image it is to see you um, holding that picture and praying over and praying for the little girl in the picture. Like what a, as you were describing that, that image was just kind of burned into my, into my, my mind that it brought me, it got me a little teary eyed, just um, kind of picturing that happening. What a beautiful moment that is. Yeah. And you know where that came from sort of is I found, and I don't think this is uncommon with sexual abuse victims, I found that I was sometimes living two worlds. Like this little girl, without me even knowing it, was emerging in my life, and and her fears mm. became the fears of an adult woman. Hmm. And it was important for me to calm her fears and to pray over her and to assure her day in and day out that as the memories emerged that she was safe and that I was going to take care of her. Wow. Now, how, how has this experience affected um, other relationships in your life? Like again, when that, when that little girl kind of rises up and, and the fears begin to affect you as an adult, how has that affected um, the people around you and your family? And um... That's a deep question. Um, relationships are really, really hard for me. Um, allowing myself to be vulnerable is really hard for me. I'm getting better at it, but it's really hard for me because as a child, I built this fortress around my heart and I wasn't letting anybody in. I'm so jealous of my husband. He has a best friend from Catholic mm. grade school that he speaks to still at 52 years old, almost every single, every single day that it's a beautiful friend that stood the test of time. And I never mm. had that. 
I never had that as a child. I never had, I never formed those bonds as a college student, even as a young adult. And even as a woman of 40 years old, I, I never formed those because I never could let my defenses down. So that's really sad for me, but something, you know, that's one of the things that sexual abuse has robbed me of. But in the last five years, I've really started to build beautiful friendships with women. And I've prayed for, I've, I've prayed for, um, healthy spiritual friends and God has delivered them to me. I, I try to surround myself today with women and friends who speak the truth to me, people who I can drop the facade with. And um, it, it doesn't come easily. My family of origin continues in really deep dysfunction. It's really a deep sadness for me because our, our secrets keep us sick, make us sick and keep us sick. And even as the abuse has been brought to light only in recent years, mm -hmm. the divisions and wounds and brokenness of my family run really deep. And I trust and know that God will heal it in time, but it's a sadness for me. My mom's 89. She's not going to live forever. And it's just a really, really deep sadness for me. That relationship with my mom is really difficult, something that God and I are working on. My relationship with my husband probably is the one that suffered the most because I entered marriage in my 20s um, really broken. My heart ran really, really deep. And I, I, I put walls up between him and I. Um, marriage is super hard without having all the baggage that I carried into it. Um, but as I've found healing, our marriage has found healing. And... Um, it's still an area that God is calling me to, to a deeper healing, but it's a process. But probably the, the deepest hurt in my heart as far as relationships go is that with my own children, because they grow so quickly. And my oldest son is 13 and my youngest son is 11 now. And when they entered my world as these beautiful little beings that God gifted me with, I had no idea how to love them. One of the things that I learned in the deep excavation work of the last of the last years was how to touch. You know, as an abuse victim, you never really think of it. I never thought of it, but I never learned the gentle caress of a loving touch. I didn't learn how to give it and I didn't learn how to receive it. The touch that I received as a child was unwanted and it was painful. And as an adult, even the hand of a friend on my shoulder would make me cringe. And my counselor through a lot of hard work helped me to learn how to touch, how to feel things, um, and how to really feel things. We started in her office with a pillow, and then she sent me to the produce department of the grocery store and said, I want you to go. I want you to feel the fruits. I want you to feel the vegetables. And I resisted for a couple of weeks. I love grocery shopping, but I resisted that. I, I didn't want to go with a grocery list, so I waited till the, till the time was right. And it was an amazing grace-filled experience. I went in, I felt the vegetables, I felt them, I stood there. I'm sure everybody in the store was was staring at me, but I didn't care because I was, I was hungry for the healing. And that night I sat by my children's bedside after they were asleep. And I gently caressed their arms and their foreheads and their hair, really felt them for the very first time in my life in their lives. And in that moment, I just wept for everything that I had lost. And as you can tell, it still makes me cry today. It's a deep sadness, but God brings healing. He's built, he's brought beautiful, beautiful things out of my wounds. But I think it's important to remember that sexual abuse affects 
every aspect of a victim's life. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm a survivor, but it has affected every aspect of my life. I know I said this earlier, but I just want to say again, um, thank you for sharing your story with us today and your witness. And I just feel very honored that you'll take in the time and open it up your heart um, to share part of your life that's got to be still very difficult to um, to speak about. So, um, so thank you. I'm very honored to be on the phone with you um, today. Why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, um, you can tell our listeners how you're helping other women who are uh, to heal from similar situations. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. The Bible is such an important part of our Catholic faith, but it's not always easy to understand. There are 73 separate books and so many names, places, and events that sometimes we just stop trying to figure out how it all fits together. The good news is the Great Adventure Bible Studies make it easy for you to understand the Bible. By focusing on the story that ties all of Scripture together, the Great Adventure Bible Studies give you the big picture of the Bible. And once you see the big picture of salvation history, the Mass will make more sense, the Catholic faith will make more sense, and you will see how God has a loving plan for your life. The Great Adventure Bible Studies have helped hundreds of thousands of people to understand the Bible and grow closer to Christ. There's no other Catholic Bible study series like it. And you can get started on The Great Adventure today by creating your free account at ascensionpress.com. All right, and we're back. Talking today with Joanne Adi about her uh, abuse as a child uh, she experienced growing up and how she's now um, helping others get through um, similar situations in their life. So, jo- so Joanne, tell us about what you're doing now with other women and how you're helping them heal from these situations. Well, I'm a teacher, and and that there's a ministry in teaching, and I and I lead a small group of women in Bible study. But I'm really not currently in ministry with women or men who've been sexually abused. Although I really believe deep in my heart that that's a place that God is calling me to. And so every day I just pray for my heart to be open to whatever He wants from me, whatever He needs from me. Yeah, I would venture to say just just your openness and willingness to. Um share from the heart with people has got to be transformative for somebody. Um, so the women you're leading in your Bible study, whether they're talking directly about, um, they may not be suffering from abuse in their lives, but I'm sure that your willingness to be vulnerable is helping them transform their lives, be open in their lives to allow God to work um, and heal whatever wounds they have. So we've all we've all got wounds. I know I, I, know I do. So, Jen, in what ways can a... Can a parishes in the, in the wider church do a better job um, at ministering to the person who is struggling with abuse? That's a hard question. I think we all need to know our own stories. We need to practice them so that when God calls us to share them, we can share them, that we know our own stories, because sometimes that's all we can do is share our story, and and that's enough. I always think that like church groups, like my Bible study, I always think that we should have one night where the women just get together and they just practice sharing their stories with each other, just practice in a safe environment. Mm. So when God calls you out on it and says, you know, and just nudges you and says, I need you to share this with somebody that we're comfortable enough doing it, that we've practiced being vulnerable in that. Um, Because I think that we really have to be willing to be vulnerable to one another. We have to be able to show our wounds to each other and share our stories with each other. 
but we also absolutely have to remind one another that God doesn't see us in our brokenness. He sees us in our beauty and in our wholeness. Uh, on the Easter vigil, just recent Easter vigil this year, um, this absolutely became a reality to me. In a, you know, God just gave me the grace to know and to understand this. So we had an adult baptism at our church. Never seen an adult baptism in any church, and I've only been a Catholic for a little while, so I haven't seen too many Catholic baptisms. And this man, who I actually know, is being baptized, and at the end they give um, the newly baptized this white baptismal cloth. And it symbolizes you know, that we're made new in Christ. And I realized for the first time in that sacrament of baptism that God doesn't see me as this patchwork doll that I've imagined myself to be over the last years with like a big old black patch over my left eye and, a, you know, stitches down my arm and, you know, buttons sewed on that don't match. Um, God doesn't see, see me like that. He doesn't see you like that. Um, he sees each of us in our wholeness and it's, and we're beautiful and new and we have to remind each other of that. And then of course, you know, we're, we're all called just simply to love one another. Um, one of my favorite saints, St. Therese of Lisieux said, you know, well enough that our Lord does not look so much on the greatness of our actions, nor even at their difficulty, but at the love with which we do them. And that's what we're called to do. We're really called to love one another. And I'm not sure we do a good enough job at that. Hmm. Man, that is so profound. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's really simple. That's all he's asking us to do. And, and uh, we make it so difficult. So um, what advice can you give a, a DRE or a youth minister or somebody who works in a parish or volunteers in a parish who um, maybe suspects somebody of, of um, suspects an instance of child abuse? What advice would you give them as far as intervening and, and stepping out and, and asking them um, what's going on? Yeah, I, I try to be really careful about giving advice, but I think there are some important things to remember. Um, I think it's most importantly, and again, I wouldn't have said this even two years ago, but um, in my own experience, victims of sexual abuse often suffer from PTSD. And it's natural for us when we suspect that someone is wounded it's so natural for us to just wrap our rounds, wrap our arms around the wounded and just try to love them. But sometimes, especially in the case of sexual abuse, um, that can trigger an emotional flashback. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to be aware of that. You know, a gentle, well-meaning touch, or even me, guilty of standing behind children in my classroom, you know, just standing behind them, looking over their shoulder at what their work. If you're a victim of child abuse, that can send you back into emotional flashbacks and really paralyze a victim with fear. So it's something to be aware of. Um, some counselors actually offer training for schools and for um, other groups to, that are working with children, you know, and just things to be cautious of as you're working with kids. Mandata mandatory reporting is something never to be taken lightly. I'm not sure if DREs or youth ministers are mandatory reporters, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, it's really tough to say how many children are actually um, affected by child abuse, but because most of it goes unreported. But statistics say one in five girls and one in twenty boys are victims of sexual abuse. So if we suspect, we have to report. Let somebody else investigate, but at least do your due diligence and report it. 
And of course, I'm, I think the Safeguarding God's Children program that we have in the Archdiocese of, Diocese of Milwaukee is a, um, is a um, nationwide program educating anyone that's working with children on protecting the most vulnerable in our churches. Um, and so we have to make ourselves familiar with the signs and the symptoms of abuse and take them seriously. You know, I don't dwell on it anymore, but I often wonder how come no one noticed the signs that were evident in my own childhood. Hmm. And, and always super important to remember that abused children or adults that were abused as child live in deep shame and secrecy. So we have to form relationships of trust with those who's got, who've, who God has placed in our care, and we have to be Jesus to them, because it's in that trust and in those relationships that we build that will eventually allow someone to share their secrets so they can begin to heal. I've been a youth minister in two different dioceses now, and it's so easy to... Um to see the paperwork and the, and the um, safe environment training and things that your volunteers, that the, that the church employees as well as the volunteers need to go through and think, oh, this is such a hassle. Why do I have to do this? But like you said, it's, it's so important um, to take that stuff seriously so that people can recognize it when they see it and, um, and it won't go unchecked. Like you said, like we were, you were wondering why somebody didn't recognize the signs in your own life. And I just wonder how many people out there, as I, you know, sit in church and, and wonder how many people are, are, are living in a situation that needs somebody to step in and just don't just don't know. So yeah, so please, people, take that take that seriously. Um, what about advice for somebody who's who has uh, kind of broken through into somebody's life and be a counselor or a priest or somebody who's who's counseling someone who's suffered from abuse? What advice would you give them as uh, as the counselor? Well, when my kids, when my students leave my classroom in the morning, I often will remind them to be God's hands and feet. And priests are God's hands and feet, but there's so much more. Sister Miriam James, um, I've heard her say that through the sacrament of holy orders, the priest is the heart of God. And I just love that because it's so true. Um, the priest is the heart of God. And probably the most important thing that a priest said to me as I began to dig deep into my own brokenness is he looked at me and he just said, and I remember exactly where he was standing. I, I, like it's seared in my mind. He said, I'm in this with you. And he has been. As the heart of Jesus, priests have to enter the trenches with their people. They have to be God's hands and feet, but they have to be God's heart. Priests and those in ministry must pray with the wounded. It's so easy for us to say, oh, I'll pray for you. And it's comforting, but stopping and praying with someone who's hurting, who's taking those steps um, and saying yes to Jesus and opening their hearts for healing, stopping and praying with them takes it to the next level. That's deep. That's entering the trenches with God's people. That's loving God's people. Mm. But I also think that it's really important that um, priests, especially in spiritual direction, that they recognize that they're not trained trauma specialists, they're mm. not trauma counselors, and to encourage women and men who've been abused to seek professional help, um, to, to seek the professional help that's needed to dig through the muck. Because for me, it was hand in hand. I needed them both. I needed that trained trauma specialist, but I also needed that spiritual director working in tandem. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we we talk about that a lot on on the show here about the holistic approach to the person and how that is so important and it it, it often gets one or the other gets neglected, but you know, we've got to do that um, side by side and and um, okay. So um, one more question for you, and uh, if if you suspect there's an adult in your life that's experienced child abuse as a child, how do you what advice can you give them for opening up and um, begin that process? That's a really hard question because each person's journey is so unique and so different and their healing is so unique and so different because their wounds are so unique and so different. The healing process can't be forced. It has to be allowed to unfold as God knows is best. He's kind and loving and good, but many victims of sexual abuse, um, survivors of sexual abuse don't know him as that because they lack the experience of a loving and good father or father figure, which distorts their view of God. I didn't talk to God for a really long time, but God gave me the grace through Jesus and Mary to begin to have conversation with God. The healing can't be forced. The conversations can't be forced. And the healing takes time. It's a long, slow process, but there's beauty in the process a deep beauty in God, lovingly, very, very lovingly, putting the pieces of the puzzle together perfectly. I'm not really much for process. I'd rather just get to the end. I just <laughs> want it to be over. Um, but through my own healing, I've begun to embrace transformation, and that takes time. It takes a long time. But I think probably the most important thing is to open up, is to just find that one person that you can trust and begin to tell your story because you have to stop living secrets. They make us sick. And telling that story to a trusted friend is really a very first scary step. For me, that safe person was a priest. Vulnerability is so difficult with anyone and especially with men. In my case, a priest was safe. I suspect that that's not so for everyone, especially maybe somebody who experienced abuses within the church but for me, a priest was safe. And God had been nudging me for a really long time to tell this particular priest. And I resisted. I said, no, I'm not going to tell him my secret. Just keep it where it is. But he kept nudging me. And then I started practicing the conversation in my own head, like how that conversation was going to unfold, planning it out. And then it happened. One day he walked into my room, into my classroom, and I told him the story, the secret that I kept locked away for years just fell out of my mouth in minutes. And I'll never forget wanting nothing more than to just crawl back into bed that day, cover my head and sleep for days. But that moment of telling that man, telling the heart of Jesus my story was the day that the journey of wholeness began for me. So telling, hmm. finding someone to tell. Wow. What a great... <laughs> Um, what a great time this has been uh, together. Thank you so much for um, opening your heart, opening your life, and just sharing um, with people in your life and with people now that you don't even know that are listening right now um, to your story and hopefully are encouraged to, um, to maybe move if they haven't yet in their life. Um, you are super courageous, and I just wanted to affirm you um, in that. And... Um, and again, I just feel honored to have spent this time with you. So thank you, thank you, thank you um, for your time today. You're so welcome. When I started the journey, 
really, you know, and it's been a lifetime journey of healing. I just kind of focused on the last couple of years because they've been such intense and transformational for me. But when I began the journey, probably for a very long time, I have known that God would someday use my story to help somebody else heal. And like I told Alan early, if it just helps one person, just one person to have healing in their lives and to know the deep love of God, that's all that matters. It's one person. So I am grateful that you're giving me the opportunity to maybe reach out and help that one person. Uh, it has been our pleasure. So real quick before we go, if there is somebody out there who um, is looking for a resource, um, in healing, um, you have some resources you would recommend. You want to run through those real quick, and we'll put them in our show notes as well if somebody wants to go back and take a look at them. But I'd love for you to just mention those real quick for our, our listeners. So there are lots of really great resources out there to aid in healing. Um, my favorite book, if you can only read one, is Be Healed by Bo Dr. Bob Schutz. He also wrote Be Transformed. Both of them excellent books to read. And there's a few more in the show notes that you can refer to. So Joanne, and do you mind if people contact you? Can we give your email out on the, on the, on the air? Yes, you may. Absolutely. Yeah. And for our listeners, if you want to get to those show notes, just go to ascensionpress.com, click on podcasts, no, click on media, then click on podcasts and you'll see a list of the episodes and you can see the show notes in there. If you'd like to contact uh, Joanne, you can do so at joanneotti at gmail.com. That's J-O-A-N-N-O-T-T-E at gmail.com. So Joanne, thank you again. I had, I had a professor tell me in, in back in college that um, for most people, it would be, I, I didn't quite grasp the profound the profoundness of his statement when he said it but he said that most people it's, it would be easier for them to stand um physically naked in front of somebody be easier to do that than to stand emotionally naked in front of somebody and um i've just as i've gotten older and and, and met people and talked to people how how true that is that people just don't want to be vulnerable they don't want to open up they don't want somebody to let them into who they really are so um thank you so much for um, for doing that and for um, showing us how to do that and being vulnerable and, and courageous. It's, it's been it's been a pleasure today. So thank you again so much for giving us your time. You're welcome. Thanks for letting me share my story. You're very welcome. All right, guys, there you go. Um, we hope you're having an awesome week. Have a great uh, week, and we'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>